All right, so let's look at this gospel. Let's break it, break it up a little bit. There's basically two main sections. There's the first section where Jesus, once again, is talking about how he's going to go to Jerusalem. He's going to, to suffer and die, and then he's going to rise again. And uh, we're told that the, the disciples have no clue what he's talking about, which is not really rare. They, <laughs> they tend to not really understand what he's talking about. And what I, what I want to point out to you is one phrase that he uses, okay? Um, one particular phrase that he uses, because it's going to repeat itself. And if, if you kind of pay attention to this, it's, you, you'll recognize the phrase over and over and over in different, in different Gospels and throughout the church year. It says that uh, the Son of Man is to be handed over. Handed over, okay? The Son of Man is to be handed over. Um, Jesus hands himself over to suffer and die, to be crucified. Pontius Pilate hands Jesus over to, uh, to be crucified. Jesus is constantly being, if you will, handed over. The, the Father hands him over, in a sense, to become man. You know, the second person of the Trinity, his son, uh, to become man, to to enter into his own creation so that he will ultimately undergo his passion and, and, and his death to redeem the world. This idea of, of handing himself over is very important because if Jesus was merely someone who, um, uh, his suffering and death sort of happened to, as opposed to willfully handing himself over, that action is, is radically different, right? If, it just, if it's just something like he, he's out there preaching and teaching, he upsets the religious re leaders and the political leaders, gets himself in trouble, and then he's just this victim because of uh, persecution, then there's not really this divine agency or will behind it. And what we know from the scriptures what we know from divine revelation is that this is the intention of God, that, that his son is sent, he sends his son, that Jesus himself chooses to, chooses to redeem the world through his actions. It's his choice to hand himself over. It's his choice to humble himself to become man, to humble himself to suffer and to die for us. And it's his choice to, to take on, if you will, the, the punishment that all of us deserve for our sins out of love for us. All right, so this handing of himself over is an act of great humility on the part of Jesus. All right, great humility and subjugation that he undergoes. All right, contrast that, this act of great humility on the part of Jesus. Contrast that with their continuing their, their journey to Capernaum. And they get to Capernaum. And Jesus knows what they were talking about. And they get to the house. And uh, he says, well, what were you talking about? <laughs> and the, the, the apostles, of course, doing what a lot of guys do. Because they were thinking, right? Just like last week I was talking about. They're thinking that the Messiah, Jesus is going to be this great political or military leader. He's going to enter into his reign, and every, they're going to get to share in this, right? 
They're picking out their cabinet positions, their positions of power, you know, and so they're saying, well, I'm better than you and I'm better than you and I've got these gifts and I've got these skills. So when when Jesus enters into, you know, his earthly kingdom and he starts to set it up, I get to be in this position and I get to be in this position. We're going to have these positions of power. It looks just like modern day politics, really. That's what they're doing. They're, They're positioning themselves for power. And of course, that makes perfect sense to us. We know what that looks like. We see it every day on the news, you know, every political cycle. We know exactly what this looks like. And so Jesus, and they're ashamed. Jesus says, what were you talking about? They're not answering because they're ashamed. They know that their passions overtook them. Like St. Paul talks about in the second reading, their passions, their emotions overtook them and that they were even if they got the whole idea wrong of who the Messiah is, they understood that their rivalry, you know, with each other overtook them, that their, their brotherhood that they, they should be focusing on, you know, their, their common focus on the good that Jesus is, is trying to teach them was lost in, in their competition with each other. And so they're ashamed of, of that, and they should be. And so the Lord says, look, the kind of leadership you need, to, you need to have is different than what you think. I mean, they still don't understand what kind of Messiah this is. They don't, they don't understand that the kind of Savior he is, is this suffering servant. The one who's going to humble himself, submit to the cross, submit to you know, persecution and death. That in, 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 for Jesus... The only victory is going to come through suffering and death, through submission. And so he sits down because in, in, the, in the ancient world, and it's still this way actually in, in, in Europe and, and in the, uh, the Near East, that the position of teacher is to sit. That's why he sits. So he sits down and he again begins to teach them. He says, look, this is how it works for me. If you're going to be first... You need to serve everybody. You need to be a servant. Well, in the ancient world, you know, a servant for us doesn't, you know, it doesn't really ring in the same way as it would have there. I mean, they had real servants. They had real slaves back then. And so when he says servant, that was a real debasement. That was a real debasement of self. That meant really to be ordered around. And so that meant to, to, to make yourself sort of the dregs, you know, to, to do the worst of jobs and to, to serve the worst of people, so to speak, you know, to, to serve those who, who no one else would serve. And, and so that's, what, that's why he brings a child into their midst. And in, uh, in the language they spoke, in, in Aramaic, in the language they spoke, the, the word is the same for servant and child. It's interesting. So when he brings a child in their midst, and he said, whoever receives a child, it's the same as saying whoever receives a servant. It's sort of a play on words. And, and in, the, in the ancient world, children were not treated the way you know, we would treat children today with, with so much love and caring and affection. Children were, were not useful. Um, they, they didn't really have, they weren't treated with, with very much dignity because uh, it's just not how they were treated. 
that were treated as little more than property until they were old enough to contribute, etc. And so to take a child in his, in, you know, and, and to embrace the child and to say that even this child needs to be treated with the greatest amount of dignity was actually a, a somewhat of a, of a strong action and statement. Really, even a child? You treat a child? I mean, come on, it's a child. For them, this would have been a striking reference. To us, it, it seems odd that, that Jesus would say to treat a child. I mean, we cherish our children, of course. You know, I think of my, my little niece. I mean, how would you not treat your children with, with reverence and, you know, uphold them with the greatest dignity? But back then, they just didn't do it. And, and this was, and actually, the, in Israel, they treated their children with, with greater dignity than, than in ancient Rome and Greece where if they didn't, they didn't desire to have their newborn children, they would, infanticide was rife throughout the Roman Empire. It was just commonplace. So the, the Israelites actually treated their children with greater dignity than the rest of, of the ancient world. And so, for, so anyway, the, the point being that the Lord raising the smallest among them to a greater dignity and saying to the disciples, look, you need to treat even the lowly, lowliest among us with great dignity. That's your mission. And so it was. In the, in the earliest uh, centuries of the Christian church, you know, the first and second century, writings about the Christians um, were, there was the, you know, by non-Christian writers. The, the striking thing written about the early Catholic church was, you know, these people are strange in a few ways. But one of, the, one of the things that was written about the early Christians was they love each other. <laughs> it seemed, you know, that, that seems like a, an odd thing for us to, to point out today. But no, that was actually in the, in the ancient world for, for people to treat each other with love and affection, not just, you know, households, but each other, neighbors, to treat each other in a loving way was just something people didn't do. People didn't do that. They treated each other in a utilitarian fashion. You know, they, people were selfish. They were self-centered. And for, for Christians to care about widows and orphans and the lowliest among, among them was a radical departure from the way everyone else treated one another. And so when the Christians came into the into this world and, and turn the world upside down by, by treating even the lowly, lowliest with dignity and love. It changed the world. It really changed the world. And then as it began to spread, it, it completely revolutionized Western society. It really did. So we move to today, and if it's not clear what the, the theme of, you know, how we should apply this to ourselves, you know, we look at today and we, we should ask ourselves, as Christians, are we that revolutionary anymore with how we treat one another? You know, even St. Paul in the second reading is writing in the first century and he's saying, rivalries are rising amongst you. He's writing this to the Christian church. You know, he's saying, wait, is it St. Paul? Oh, it's not. It's James, sorry. There we go. I'm going to have to edit that on my podcast. It's, uh, 
no, I won't, it's just a mistake. So anyway, it's St. Paul, or it's, uh, it's James writing in the, in the early first century saying, look, rivalries, your passions are rising amongst the early Christians already. Already human nature is creeping in to this new ethic. And so for ourselves today, you know, we look at, um, you, you know, look at the society today. Look at how we treat one another. Look at anything we would seek to discuss. You know, turn to your neighbor and talk about politics right now. Talk about Trump. I mean, you'll have fist fights in 15 minutes. 15 minutes, five minutes. You'll have divorce papers filed. <laughs> Friendships cease, you know? I mean, it's amazing. And I'm not taking a side on that. I'm not trying to get you upset at me. I, not at all. I'm just pointing out what you already know. Look at how quickly divisions, you know, uh, crop up amongst us. In our society today, we, we're so quick, you know, to, to look at each other as enemies, as adversaries. Over what? And I'm not saying that politics don't matter. I mean, they do matter. And there are real serious issues, of course, that the world is facing. But there are greater, greater and more important issues than economic policy. God is concerned about greater issues than that. He's concerned about how we treat one another. He's concerned about how we love one another, whether we do or not. Just because we disagree with each other doesn't mean we should, we should dehumanize one another, that we should begin to treat one another as enemies. It's, a, it's really, it's really a, I think, a, a bad, dark place that our country is in. And as soon as we start talking about that, we say, well, that's the Democrats' fault. Well, of course it is. <laughs> it's probably the Republicans' fault. I don't know. It's all of our faults. Do you know whose fault it is? It's the person who, it's, it's my fault when I demonize the other person. It's my fault when I, in my engagement of another person, do not treat them with dignity and love. That's where it starts. It starts with me. That's all I can do, and it's all that you can do. But that's where it begins. And I think as Christians, we have a choice. We have a choice to, to you know, begin being those strange people again, who people say, yeah, there's something odd about those Christians. You know, they're, they're starting to love each other again. And it's not the 60s anymore. And it's not like they're smoking pot together, like the 60s. It's not California. Um, they're actually treating each other with generosity and love and dignity and respect. And it's a beautiful thing. You know, I think that's what the Lord, obviously, that's the, what the Lord has always called us to be. And I think that that's our call today. Rising to a higher level. Rising to the level that Christ calls of us. Please stand.